there's voices in your head that say, oh, well, just do it tomorrow. Or nobody's going to read this blog post. Or you're going to put all this work into the podcast and nobody's going to listen to it. Like, you have to think past that. Oh, man, I have to pay. I have to spend $100 on a website. Oh, man, I have to put all these blog posts on. Just put one. Right? Just put one today. Just put one every day. Right? Create a website. Oh, my gosh, it's going to take so much time. And I don't know if I can do this. But like, the minute that anybody has an idea around what their dream is, the next idea subtly is usually something to defeat it. This is Aaron Hankins, and you're listening to The Enemy Within You Podcast. You're listening to Enemy Within You, a podcast that exposes the subtle ways we work against ourselves. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'm here to help you combat your negative patterns by sharing stories, ancient wisdom, and good old common sense. So by all means, go get a cup of coffee ready, and let's talk about life. Back in 2016, I was part of an intensive online workshop named the Alt-MBA. It was expensive, it was intense, and I met people who felt the same way about goals and dreams that they wanted to make a reality in their life. Some of these people have become dear friends of mine. The workshop was created by Seth Godin and his team. Now, if you don't know who Seth is, he's an author of 19 best-selling books. Yeah, you heard right. 19 best-selling books. Some of his books include The Dip, Lynchpin, Purple Cow, Tribes, and What to Do When It's Your Turn. Needless to say, Seth is a marketing genius, and he's been in the game for a very long time. Now, this is the part where you expect me to introduce him as a guest on the podcast, right? (laughs) But nope, he's not the guest for today. So why am I telling you about Seth Godin and his intensive online workshop named The Alt-MBA? Well, because I'm providing you with the context and how I met today's featured guest, Aaron Hankins. Aaron is an R&D process engineer for the world-renowned brand Nike. He was born and raised in Philadelphia. After receiving a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Drexel University, He spent the next 17 years working for a slew of companies, most of which were in the aerospace industry. So, how does an aerospace engineer go from manufacturing missiles for the military to helping engineer Nike shoes that are worn throughout the entire globe? That's precisely what we're going to unpack in today's episode. Aaron's journey to Nike is full of inspiration, paradigm shifts, and actionable advice that will help you get closer to achieving a goal or dream that you've yet to make a reality. Also, just a quick note, we had a few technical difficulties during the interview, so the quality isn't the greatest, but the content nevertheless is worth listening to. 
So without further ado, enjoy the interview with the inspirational Aaron Hankins. So welcome, Aaron, to the show. Uh, welcome to Enemy Within You podcast. Uh, and I'm really happy to have you on. I'm going to leave the video on actually, though, because I, I like to see you. Absolutely. I hope so. Because <laughs> I give reactions. And for those of you listening to the podcast and not watching it, um, me, and, me and Luis are on a Zoom call. And see, I like to give play by play on the podcast. Like I'm looking at Luis. He's looking at me burning up under a ring light. So, yes, keep the video. On. It's all good. <laughs> I thought a good place for us to start is attack mode. Tell me about attack mode. <laughs> Where do we start? Um, well, that attack mode is, it's a, it's a philosophy that was developed by Kobe Bryant when he first joined the Lakers. Um, and it, it's, it was called out very early in his career by uh, Phil Jackson, his coach. And any time that Kobe just kind of took over, um, didn't really think about his teammates, and just tried to score, he tried to win at all costs, uh, Phil Jackson would say, oh, Kobe's in attack mode. Uh, Kobe's from where I'm from. So I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, Kobe Bryant was born like maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes away from, from where I was born. Um, so growing up, like being from Philadelphia, when Kobe uh, made it to the NBA, like that was my guy. Like that was somebody that I was, that I was, that I would follow. So I learned about attack mode from there and attack mode evolved into the Mamba mentality. So everybody who knows Kobe knows the Mamba mentality, but it, it, it started with attack mode. And um, for me, attack mode um, was also like a philosophy that I put in place um, shortly after my father passed away. Um, so my father passed away, like after I graduated college and it was really about going and going after and getting what you want. Attack mode is if there's an opportunity to be had that you take it. If there's a question to be asked, you ask it. Um, it's and it's not thinking about the imposter syndrome that we get into or the the critical thinking that that our brains put us into. It's just like okay, do it, try it out. Does it work? Okay, did you learn anything from that experience? And for me, it, it was I don't know. There's a beautiful woman across the. Uh, in a restaurant, I'm going to go over and I'm going to say hello to her. That I'm in attack mode. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have a I have a boyfriend. I'm in a relationship. Okay, well, it was still nice to meet you. And I'll talk to you later. Um, so attack mode is something that I that I've cultivated. Geez, over almost 15 years of trying to put it into deliberate daily practice. So with that, I, I will want to give a disclaimer before we get too deep in the podcast. My name is Aaron Hankins and the views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of my employer past, present, or future. So Luis, does that answer your question about attack mode? It does. It does, man. Uh, and thank you for the disclaimer. Uh, we are going to be talking a lot about Nike today. So that disclaimer was necessary, uh, but it just speaks to Aaron's professionalism. I have another question just right off of the attack mode. I know you embraced the attack mode after uh, the passing of your father, of your dad. What was like the first big accomplishment where you said, I was in attack mode right there. Like I just tasted the fruit of my attack mode in a way that if I wouldn't have embraced this thing, 
this, this ideology, I would have not accomplished this. Uh, so I was in Philly working at retail, an engineer working at retail because I couldn't find a job. It was during the recession. And then I had an opportunity to interview for a company called Raytheon, which is a large aerospace and defense company. The first time I was in attack mode was during the interview at Raytheon. And I put it all out there. Um, I prepared for the interview as best I could. Um, you know, I had my resume, probably still had some typos in it, but did it as well as I could do it. Um, went over a million questions about myself and explaining myself and all those different things so that when the interview was over, I knew that I had given it my all of my best. And I knew that there wasn't anything more I could have done. I sent the, sent the thank you card, and did the, sent the email, and reached out to this person and said, appreciated. Thank you for, for all these different things. Right. And attack mode, not only is the action to go beyond the, the voices in your head that are telling you that you can't do something, attack mode on the other side of that is, hey, I've done this to the best of my ability. I was in attack mode. Mm -hmm. There's like, yes, I can, I can learn from my mistakes. I can improve it. But in that moment, I had the ball. I had however many hours of practice. I took the shot. I had a good look. It went in. And I scored. I was in attack mode. Good example. Very good example. Because it does lead me to kind of the journey I want to unpack today, uh, in which the context I met you and I know, and I was really well acquainted with all your dope traits, your awesome characteristics, uh, was through this journey from aerospace engineer to Nike. First, let's start with what do you do for Nike and how would you explain it to a six-year-old? Uh, what do I do at Nike? Yeah. Um, I work in research and development, so R&D. People always hear R&D and they're like, well, what's R&D? R&D in my job is really about finding things and researching things and then developing them into shoes or into apparel. Or things like that. So it's really about creating where there isn't something created. It's like making something when there's nothing there to be made. How would I, how would I explain it to a, to a six-year-old? Um, in, in the simplest way, it would be you come up with an idea in your head, and then you take the Play-Doh and you turn and craft the Play-Doh into what's in your mind. It's as simple as that. Everything else, there's legal documents, there's companies that you have to reach out to to get samples or to get whatever there's scale plans there's all these different documents in between but the the genesis where it starts is an idea in somebody's head and where it ends is a product on a shelf in a retail store so because of the nature of the work that i do it's extremely secretive it's actually more secretive than the aerospace work that i used to do for raytheon so um, I have to speak in a coded language where the words that I'm talking about are extremely vague on purpose because we're talking, I mean, the footwear and apparel industry is like multi-billion dollar industry and there's competitors and what's stopping a competitor from listening to your podcast to try to gain an edge on the company that I work for. So um, 
once you start working there, they kind of teach you that it's like, hey, the things that you work on are very important things. They're really cool things. You can't just share them with anybody. So, like, I don't know when the next shoe is coming out. I don't know how many of the next shoe is coming out. Like, the things that I work on, like, honestly, are 2026. We're in 2021. So, they're things that are slated for five years or 10 years from now. So, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I wouldn't go into all that detail with a kid. I would just be like, <laughs> you, you use your imagination, you make something. That's what, that's what I do. I work for Nike's CIA department, my top secret department. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, when you get the opportunity to interview more people from Nike, you will find that many of them are more secretive than I am in, in some cases because the, what we work in is competition and secrecy. Yeah. So that's, that's how actually that's how Apple was too. A lot of Apple employees were sworn under the same kind of secrecy. And when the iPod came out then the iPhone and I mean, Steve jobs had it all laid out on what he was working. And I mean, people didn't know uh, who they were even working with sometimes I think, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you do, right? If you want to be top dog uh, in the sea of competition. So, how long have you been working for Nike now? I started in December of 2017. Okay. So, so four years about or almost, well, three, three and, three and a couple, three and some change. Yeah. Tell me about this dream of working at Nike. Cause when I met you, <laughs> we met at uh, Seth Godin's alt MBA on an intensive online workshop and I remember seeing your posts about Nike, you know, wanting to work for Nike. That was your dream. And part of this Alt MBA course or workshop was leaving comments and feedback from other people. And the feedback that I often saw under your posts, which I think I may have been guilty of too, <laughs> was really trying to ask you why Nike. Like, why were you so stuck on Nike and why did you not want to start your own thing? Why did you, uh, why wouldn't you consider another shoe company to work for? And I think maybe we didn't like, this is just me expressing myself now, but I personally feel like maybe we weren't sneakerhead enough to really understand (laughs) where you were coming from. But Mm -hmm. I saw that how you would just handle that feedback and I want to kind of dig into why did you decide on Nike and how long ago did you decide that before you actually got the job? Um, probably started when I was 10 years old. Uh, when I was 10 years old, Air Jordan 5 came out. Uh, I saw it in the store. I said, Mom, I want that shoe. She said, Hey, it's too expensive. I can split the cost with you. So I had to innovate and save up my allowance or go work some side jobs, whatever it was. I'm 10 years old at the time to make the additional amount to cover these shoes. And what's important about that and what I didn't realize at the moment was, is that that was the first time that I worked to get something that I wanted. And my mom instilled that in me so I get the Air Jordan 5. I love it. It's got this 3M reflective tongue on it. I used to put it under my bed and flick the lights on and off so I could see it. 
see the colors dance. Um, it had an airbag. Like that was the first time that I could look through the shoe and I could see through the other side. And, and it just, it had all these different design elements. And so it's the first thing that I was able to choose for myself. I had to work to get it. And then once I had it, I just, I love this object, this product, right? Wore it until I couldn't wear it anymore. And then I tore it apart. And once I tore it apart, I learned a deeper level about what it was, like all the different components that went into it. And I'll say like from that point forward, I was probably a Nike guy. Like I probably had growing up, I probably wore a couple pairs of other brands when I was in high school or even in college. But for the most part, I was, I was pretty well like dug into the Nike system. So after that first pair of shoes, um, you know, when it was time that once or twice a year, when it was time for me to get shoes for, but for school, moms would take me to the sneaker shop. And this is like the mid nineties and they still had the catalogs and, and the, and the guy was like, okay, like flip through the catalog. Which one do you like? And I'd see like Deion Sanders or I'd see this one. Or I'd see that one. And I started to like understand that I was like, Oh, well, I could just come in here and I could pick something out of this catalog. And, the, and the, the sneaker shop would get it. And it was like one of those little mom and pop places. So I started, was able to start picking what I liked. And get to high school, I'm like a chubby dude. And my, my clothing sizes were always changing. But the one thing that stayed the same was the size of my head. So I could always wear hats and the size of my feet so I could always wear sneakers. So I used these Nike shoes when I was in high school as almost a defense mechanism. Like somebody wanted to make fun of me, but I had some clean sh shoes on. So I was like, okay, well, we can't say anything because he's got the clean shoes on. And then when I went to college, it just sort of, it, it went to the next level because by the time I get to college, I'm working and now I can get the shoes that I want and I, and I can just stock, stock them up. So that's like probably when I hit college is when I became like a sneakerhead, like, Oh, every other day I got to wear a different pair. So I developed this, this connection with the brand and it wasn't anything like, it wasn't like I was getting discounted pairs or anything like that. I just gravitated towards it naturally. When I was in college, I applied a couple times and I was like, Oh, they probably don't want me because of, you know, you make up all these different reasons and these different excuses. After college, um, I start working and all the jobs that I'm working at, since I get a degree in mechanical engineering, I got a degree in mechanical engineering because I liked money more than I liked Nike or like shoes. Right. Cause there was a point in college where I could have been like, man, if I really like Nike, like, why don't I try to turn this into something and, and look and look at this as a career. But what I really did was I said, I came from a single parent home. I'm an only child. What job pays the most? So that's how I went to college. Like, Oh, engineers make a lot of money. And I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with math and science. Like I know that kind of stuff. So I did that and went for the jobs where I made a lot of money. My wife was just like, well, you come home and you're miserable. We live in Venice, right? We live in Venice, California. We're 15 minutes from the beach. I mean, you've been to, you've been to our, our old place. Um, what, what do you really want to do? Like if, if you have the money and you have the responsibility, you have this, this leadership role, all these things that you really asked for, but you're still coming home and you're miserable. My wife's a therapist. So she, she can see this kind of stuff immediately when I walk in the door. What do you want to do? Uh, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to work at Nike. 
She's like, okay, well, if you want to work at Nike, apply yourself. Well, I've applied every job that I've, when I went from Raytheon to the 3D printer company, I applied. When I went from there to there, I applied. She's like, no, not just apply, apply yourself. And That's a good wife, by the way. Yeah, apply <laughs> yourself. So guess, so guess what I did? I was, I, I was applying to jobs and some of the jobs were like, oh, you need to have an MBA. And at the time I still had probably like $30,000 in student loans. And I was like, okay, Nike, MBA. That's what I put into Google. And guess what popped up? Alt-MBA. Because oh. somebody who had done Alt-MBA worked at Nike. And, when, and Seth knows what he's doing. Because when you go to the Alt-MBA website, it used to be there was just a bunch of logos of all the companies that had worked with Alt-MBA. I see the swoosh, and I see that as my inroad. I'm like, well, if somebody from Nike took this course that's one month long, that's like this intentional sprint where we're just like, reading and working like beyond our day jobs and this is what I want to do. This seems cool. And I go to my, my boss and I say, listen, I want to take this course. And I show him all 10 BA. So I want to take this course. And he's like, why do you want to take this course? And I was like, I want to be a different kind of person. I want to be a different leader. Like I'm be, I'm managing these people and it's just not working out like, for whatever reason. Was, the circumstances were messed up. And he was like, why do you want to take this? I was like, somebody from Nike took this and I want to work at Nike. And he was like, okay. And he was like, but you've worked in aerospace for like 10 years. Like, like, what do you think you're going to get from Nike? And I was just like, I'm going to get some. When you met me, one of the first prompts that they gave us in Alt-MBA was right out of gold. Mm -hmm. What do you want to get out of Alt-MBA? And I'll tell you, that was the hardest prompt for me the first one because the company that i was working for we won't name them if you want to look them up you can look them up on linkedin i was working for that company they said they were going to pay for the class so i'm sitting in here and i'm like okay company a paid for this class but i want to work at nike and i and i forget who i talked to and somebody was just like aaron write your goal down that you want to work at nike and if, com if the company that's paying for this sees that and they don't like it and they don't like it to the extent that they're going to fire you, then that's your signal that you're on the right path to Nike. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I want to work at Nike. That's the goal. I want to work at Nike. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. So I, that's the first prompt. Okay, that's the goal. So back to your point, which is like feedback. Which is yeah. one of the which is one of the instrumental parts of Alt MBA. It's how it's the the grease that gets the, that gets the, the gears moving. Yeah, and and everybody was like, well, "Why do you want to work at Nike?" So the story that I just told you over the, like the past ten minutes, like that was something that I hadn't even collected. I had little snippets, and I could be like, "Oh, when I was ten. Like that was the, that was it for me. Oh, when I traveled around the world, like I was wearing my Nikes. Oh, when I was in L.A." And I ran a marathon. I was wearing my Nikes. So yeah. every key point in my life, I could tie them to this shoe and the inspiration that can come from a product to inspire me to do something great. Like I, I, I got to this point at the end of all 10 BA and probably a little bit afterwards, but it was like, I wanted, once it was shown to me, I want to be able to show that to somebody else. I want to work on something that's super cool 
that I can put in front of a kid, an adult, an elderly person, whatever, they can put it on, they can feel better about themselves and they can do something that they don't think they've ever done before. I'd be curious just to hear 10 Nike employees reasons. You know, I wonder if some of them were like you where you were after the money initially in your career, which I do have a question for you. Do you regret that season in your life of chasing money to a point? I never took the job for the money. I took all of the jobs for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. They did pay me more in each one of the jobs that I took and that, and that definitely helped. But for me, it was always about what's the opportunity. Is there a path towards leadership? Is there, are we doing something that hasn't been done before? And what I gained not from my first company because it was a startup company, but the minute that I worked at Raytheon, when I left Raytheon, I was able to charge more for my services because Raytheon's, uh, it, it, it holds some, some weight. And then when I went from the company that I worked for after Raytheon, when I went to go work for the Fastener company, it's the same thing. They're like, oh, well, you worked at Raytheon and you worked at a 3D printer company. So that means that you have skill sets in two different industries. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. We can, we can pay you more for that, for those services. Oh, okay. You became a manager. Okay. Now we can put a little bit more on it. So for me, I, and, and the funny thing is, is that even on the journey to Nike after all MBA, but sorry, during like the hustle and the grind period of about three, almost four years of just grinding to get to Nike. Like I had, I don't know, 20 or 30 job interviews in Southern California. And it was like, hey, we want you to come work for this director. We want you to come work for this GM. And we're going to pay you like tons of money. And I, and I, I, have, a, I have a friend of mine, Will, who I, who I record a podcast with. And he always told me that, Aaron, let's just say, for example, I was making 75K. And this new job wants you to go work for them and they want to pay you 100K. Well, they're paying you 100K, but they're they want you to, they're giving you the responsibility of a hundred K job. And the job that you're in is a 75 K job and it has 75 K responsibility, which means that at a certain point in the day, you can put it down and then you can go work on the job that you really want to do. Now, if I just go and work for a hundred, the hundred K job, I'm not going to, I'm going to have hundred K responsibility and that's not going to leave me time to go get the thing that I really want to get, which is a job at Nike. That's really good wisdom from Will because that's precisely right. You know, with more money, there is more responsibility. I've given that same advice to my brother at some points is sometimes you do want to go for the lesser paying job. If you got bigger fish, you want to fry. When you went to the Alt-MBA, how long from the Alt-MBA did it take you to actually work at Nike? We did Alt MBA in 2015 or 2016. I want to say 16, maybe. So if it was 2016, then it was really only. I got a job December 2017. I feel like it was 2015. Maybe it was. It's been a I long think time. It might have been 2015. So um, leading up to that, I was like attack mode. I definitely was in attack mode because I met my wife yeah. and I got married. And I, and I accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to do, but my focus wasn't on Nike. I think after Alt-MBA, my focus really honed in on Nike, and it was 
what are you doing today to get closer to your goal? Like I, I, I took a, a dry erase uh, sticker, like the, the eight, eight and a half by 11, and I stuck it on my closet door. So every time I'd open the closet door, what are you doing today to get closer to your goals? That was one. Uh, de- so, it, man, I should have taken a picture of that closet. Um, inside the closet, I had um, on the bottom shelf where I kept the shoes, I had another one of these stickers, these dry erase stickers, and I wrote my email address at Nike, aaron.hankins at nike.com. I wrote it on, this was 2016, before I started working. First, I looked on LinkedIn to make sure there weren't any other Aaron Hankins that worked at Nike, and there wasn't. So I write down my email address. That makes it real. And then I wrote down encouraging messages. So don't stop. You're not going to quit. You're going to get to where you want to go. So I wrote these things in here. And these are little tiny visual cues that you get every day that, are, that, that they, they drill into your subconscious. So one of the things for me in this pursuit was, what are you doing to get better, get closer to your goals today? Okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn for 10 minutes today to see if I can find people that work at Nike. Boom, you've done one thing, get closer to your goal. Um, update my resume, network, any one of these things. And, and it was almost like before I went to bed at night, I had to reassure myself and be like, okay, what did you do today to get closer to your goal? Even just that little tiny baby step so yeah that's when attack mode for for purposes of nike started inch by inch is what you were really going for right where did you learn or when did you start applying that programming of the mind with subtle visual cues it's been around for a while and geez that might have been like 2008 or 2009 like somebody told me to read the secret and i watched the i watched the video and i and i read the book and that i might have seen something on jim carrey that you know like there's so many different examples will smith kevin hart oprah winfrey all these people that that write something down they keep it with them or they put it in a place where they see it every day to just visually remind themselves and those, those little mini cues just over time, they built up to a point where I use them within a system because I'm certain that there were points when I would be like, I want to be a manager and I would write it everywhere. I want to be a manager. I want to be a manager. And then once I became a manager, then it was, I want to make over six figures. I want to make over six figures. And then it happened. Okay. Then I want to be promoted. Oh, I want to be promoted. And I would write these things down and then they would happen for me. So I don't want this to, to seem like really like mystical or anything like that, but this, this stuff works. Like astrophysics works. Quantum physics and quantum mechanics, it works. When you have an idea and you write it down and you pursue it every day incrementally, bit by bit, piece by piece, you chip away at it, you get what you want. Yeah. Well, I am fond of the spiritual, my friend. So <laughs> I, I do believe uh, we attract things within our minds and whatever we put our energy to, we're, we're going to either attract or repel. What would you say in your, in your journey to becoming a Nike employee, to fulfilling your dream, what was the most difficult challenge you had to conquer? The internal thoughts and the internal dialogue that we all have within ourselves, because that's the, that's always going to be the, the, 
the most difficult foe to defeat, which is, which is your own self doubt and self worry. Um, that's, um, yeah. yeah, that's the, I mean, and that's something that happened over like cultivating new relationships with people to give you a deeper perspective on your life, to get honest and open feedback from people to sort of help guide you on, on, on what you actually are versus what you think you are and, and, and having people give you these subtle reminders, little tips and tricks that you do with yourself, like making your bed when you wake up every morning, taking a cold shower, creating a list, lining things off of the list. These are all little tips and tricks to trick your mind into thinking that like you're the best. Mm -hmm. Could you give me an example of, of a time where you doubted? There was a few times. And I think probably the biggest one for me was at the beginning of 2017. Um, We had done the alt MBA. I had set a bunch of goals in the alt MBA. I hit a bunch of those goals. Um, I got to do a lot of awesome things with alt MBA um, one of the last things that I had was I wanted to meet 25 people at Nike. I wanted to do an informational, which is a fancy way of saying networking. I wanted to network with 25 past or current Nike employees. And I, and I did 25. And then I was like, okay, I'm not any closer, right? And it's because I wasn't specific. I just said, hey, I want to meet 25 people at Nike. Well, there's over 70,000. So like meeting 25, that'll, that'll give you 15 or 20 minutes for, for a coffee or something like that. It's not a big deal. Right. So I wasn't very specific with it, but I felt that I, I was like, well, I met 25 people. Like, isn't that enough? So I started to doubt myself and then the job, uh, the applications or the, the job postings, there was less job postings. And then I took a course uh, during this period with the, the shoe surgeon in LA and I learned how to make sneakers. That was done. Like I took the class and it was done, right? And I just went to my wife and I was like, I don't know if this is it for me. And my wife, again, the reason why I'm here, she was just like, hey, you got till the end of 2017. If you can't get a job at Nike by the end of 2017, we'll move there. And you'll have a year. And if you can't get a job, in a year of us living in Portland, if you can't get a job at Nike, then it's just not meant to be. And, and, and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she was like, well, wait a minute. Isn't there this design school in Portland called Pencil? And I was like, yeah, but they usually do like 12 or 16 week courses. She's like, why don't you just check and see? And they had a one week course. This was in July of 2017. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take this course took vacation for my regular job. I sold some of my stocks so I could buy the plane ticket and have a place to stay when I went up there. And that was the turning point. Like I, it was that. And then there was probably one that was around that same period of time when I, when I was just like, you know what? Like, yeah, this this isn't for me. And my wife again, like, this is why it's always good to have somebody that you can be like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit this. And somebody who's going to be like, no, like you're on the path. And, and my, I think my wife framed it with me that way. She was like, you've already put so much more work into this than you have anything else. And you're not a quitter. And quitting isn't something that you do. You're a persistent person. You're an, ingeni- an ingenious person. You'll figure out a way to get there, right? You just have to stay persistent. You have to stay in attack. And you have to take it to the next level. 
you set a goal. And if you don't achieve what you want to reevaluate the goal, oh, I met 25 people. Okay, I need to meet 25 people in engineering. I need to meet 25 people in manufacturing. I need to meet 25 people that are black or brown. You know, and then it's like, oh, okay, once I meet those targets and those goals, then that's when that's when you're cooking with gas. By the way, everyone, Seth Godin did not sponsor this podcast episode, nor did Aaron's wife. <laughs> I mean, I, to- you you can go on my LinkedIn and, and I have a list of all the mentors, all the people that have, that have been positive mentors in my life. And I think that every time I use the marketing muscle, anytime I use the empathy muscle, anytime I let things sit in silence, anytime I give somebody honest and open feedback, like I think of Seth because like those skills and traits aren't something that I learned in my professional career. It's not something that I learned in college. It's not something that I like, there's something special there. And I, and if enough people take it and they understand it, then they're going to be great. No, I agree, man. I mean, I, I drop Seth's name left and right in my podcast sometimes, sometimes uh, just in casual conversation. And it's so funny because there's not a lot of people who know about them unless you're in this little world, uh, like a tribe, like a true tribe. Clearly he wrote a book on tribes, but uh, yeah, I mean, I always give Seth credit. If it wasn't for Seth's books, I don't think I would have survived business because I I got so discouraged at some point where I was questioning myself and it was through some of Seth's books. And I think it's because he doesn't give you a how to. He gives And there's no there's no right answer. Exactly. So he gives you this this uh this principle based approach and he's like, now figure it out like apply it to you. And I'm all about authenticity. I'm all about taking something and adapting it to the way I move around the world. Anyways, I mean, I'll drop a lot of Seth stuff in, in, in the episode notes along with a lot of things that uh, Aaron has mentioned so far. So you left LA and you went to Portland for this pencil design school. Mm -hmm. Um, How long did you, were you there for 16 weeks? You said one week. One they week. had a they had a special one week intensive course in July, and it was just happenstance that I just it was right place right time where I was able. They had a place, they had a spot. Like I applied for it, they were like, "Hey, we want to invite you." I had to pay for the tuition and everything, but it was very much like normally their courses are, are set up on like a semester basis, so they're either twelve or sixteen weeks long. And I just happened to find a one week course. It was an intensive course, so it was almost like. Alt MBA was like one week. You're going to be here from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. You may have to work after hours, and I definitely did. But it was a fun and enriching experience. And half the people that I was there with work at Nike, so it's it's not like uh, you know it worked. Very cool. And so that was a turning point, right? So you literally went and shared space with these people. And you had, you had done that before a little bit, right? When you would, you would take trips and have coffee and try to network or not? Oh, man, all the time. That's attack mode too. Yeah. Uh, so I would reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and I'd say, hey, um, interested to get to know a little bit more about what you do at Nike. Um, if you'd ever be interested in connecting, I'm here. And they'd be like, sure, let's connect. Uh, next Friday, let's, let's have coffee on Nike's campus. I was living in L.A. So I, okay, I'm not going to tell them I live in LA. I'm like, all right, I'll see you on Friday. 
buy the plane ticket, fly up there, meet with them. And then they'd be like, oh, you're really cool. Like, how long are you going to be here for? And I'm like, oh, I'm here for the weekend. Or I'm flying out tomorrow morning. And they're like, wait a minute, you don't live here? Because you have to, in these kind of situations, like, how do I explain it? Like, if you want to network and you want to meet with somebody, and you give them all these conditionals and, and like, oh, I can't meet with you on this day because of that. Or I don't want to go get coffee because I don't like, because I don't like caffeine and I don't do this and I don't do that. Then it's like, you almost have to be open with the people that you're trying to connect with and meet them where they're at. And for me, it was like, if you have the opportunity, if you have the time, I will spend the money to get to meet you because I know that all I need is one nugget from meeting you. And it was all worth it. It's one connection from you and it's all worth it. It was it was a thousand dollars to meet you, but if you can get me the job that I want, then I'll pay the thousand dollars. I remember um, on that same subject with LinkedIn, uh, I was paying for like the LinkedIn premium, which is like forty bucks a month, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, you pay for a LinkedIn premium?" Yeah, because I want to be able to message anybody that I want to, and if you had an opportunity to message anybody that you wanted to, and it only cost you $480 for a year, would you do it? Absolutely. And that's what LinkedIn is. And then I think that if people utilize the tool in that way, because it's like, if I don't know if LinkedIn's still the same way, but it used to be that you couldn't connect with somebody or send them a message unless you were like in some sort of realm, either you paid for it or you're connected to a friend of a friend, like whatever BS. And I was just like, I will pay for the additional access because I know that this is a wealth of people, of networking, of if I meet the right person, they will put me in the place where I want to be to be happy and successful. And going to a previous point you mentioned was you only amplify that investment when you get really specific about what you're targeting and what you're trying to really gain traction on. So I'm sure like the first 25 people you met, I'm sure you did gain some value, but probably not as much value as when you said, I need to meet X amount of engineers, X amount of manufacturers, X amount of certain types of people that you felt would get you there. Yeah. Well, well, I think I I approached it from the, the mindset that every person that I met at Nike was a job. Every person had, they can either introduce me to new people or they can say, thank you. It was great to meet you. Um, Best of luck with your journey. And what I didn't realize, but I know now Nike is a marketing company. They make sneakers, they make apparel, they make footwear. It's a company of stories, compelling Mm -hmm. stories. So the networking that I needed to do with one-on-one with people, I had to be able to concisely, tell them who I am, what I am, how am I different from other people? Number two, I had to concisely tell them what I do, what I'd like to do, things that I enjoy. And number three, which is like, if, if you can help me, who can? And those were the, the kind of three things that I developed. You know, like the first person was like, oh my God, I'm talking to somebody at Nike. And then, and then they're, they're like, hey, a friend of ours connected us. I heard you want to work at Nike. What do you want to do? Oh, I just love Nike. I, I just want to work anywhere. Da, 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 and just talk their head off. And then at the end of the conversation, it was like, oh, that was somebody in HR, but they don't know what engineers do and they don't know where to put you because it's a big company. 
but he was still nice and he gave me feedback and he was like, Oh, you should talk to this person. And then I'd talk to that person or I'd, I'd be persistent and that person would be like, oh, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And I would do that and it would be another person. And then I did all to MBA. And so it was like, oh, my buddy works there. I'll connect you. Or, oh, I know somebody who works there. But the only way that I was able to gain these additional points of networking and contact through the secret, through the alchemist, thoughts become things, speaking it into existence. I want to work at Nike. I went to work in engineering at Nike. I want to work in manufacturing at Nike. It evolved into what I do today, but I had to be able to tell people, hey, I want to work at Nike. Really? Oh, my buddy works there. I'll connect you with him. Great. I appreciate it. I'll get to know them, tell them my story, tell them where I want to work, and then wait for them to see if they think that I'm a fit. Hey, you seem like a Nike guy. You're on sneakers. You love sneakers. Let me introduce you to my buddy. Very relationship-based and very trust-based system. So, you know, doing it that way, you meet with people and you're like, hey, I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer. Really? Oh, cool. Let's talk about engineering stuff. I can't tell you everything that you do, but I can tell you this. Very basic. Okay, these are the kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Well, this is the work that I do. And I tell that engineer, I tell them the work that I do. And they say, okay, that would fit in really well here. But if I was talking to somebody in marketing and I was telling them what I was doing, they would you have to know the audience. Yeah. And those 25 or so people, each one of those doors, I had to knock a bunch. I had to jiggle the doorknob. I had to like, hey, can you open the door? Okay, it's a push. Okay, I'll push it. Then I go to the next door and I knock and they're like, no, you got to ring the doorbell. Okay. You have to learn. So every new door, it was a new person, a new personality, a new connection, a new networking. Hey, our buddy... Jimmy connected us, right? Oh, yeah, I know Jimmy. He's really cool. Okay, cool. Well, you know your buddy Amy? Amy and Jimmy, they both know me, and they told me to connect with you. Really? Those, oh, those are cool people. And you, over time, it builds and it grows so that when I get to the final interview, I have a sheet of paper with 50 people's names on it, and it's like, this is my network at Nike. I've already established my network before I got there, so... Yeah. I remember those days, man. I mean, you were really in attack mode. I do remember we'd call each other and check in and definitely I, when, when I think about you during that time, I'm, I used to remember having these thoughts where like my boy Aaron is just infiltrating Nike and they don't even know it yet. <laughs> no, man, it, it was really good stuff. So let, let's fast forward real quick to the moment. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, I'm interrupting this episode to give you a quick breather. <laughs> but, of course, there is something I want to share with you. Do you know how when you meet someone for coffee to catch up with them, it's natural to talk about books you've been reading, news or movements you've been following, or things you've been watching? All of those things make for good conversation. Don't you think so? Well, I'm glad you do, because this is exactly what my newsletter, Coffee Talk, is about. Coffee Talk is a free weekly email I send that tells you about stuff I think is worth reading, following, or watching. Now, I only include things that I believe will help you lead a fulfilling life. I'm talking about a life that reflects who you truly are or who you want to be. 
Sometimes I do throw in other things like the Netflix shows I've been binge watching, new things that I've bought that's made my life easier, <laughs> or little tips and tricks for everyday living. You can think of it as having a weekly conversation over a cup of coffee with yours truly. Now, if this is an email that you'd like to receive, then you can join Coffee Talk by visiting enemywithinyou.com. Again, that's enemywithinyou.com. I'm looking forward to seeing you in your inbox, and let's get back to the episode. So you do all the networking, you do, you know, you study the culture, you acclimate, you get yourself familiar, you start to learn how to speak their lingo, how to really resonate with them. You went through some interviews. I'm sure you were through many interviews. Mm -hmm. When you got a job offer, finally, <laughs> how did, how did it feel? Unreal. 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 It wasn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't, uh, it still seemed like words. I'd get the Nike email with the swoosh and be like, congratulations, you got a job. It's not real. I need my badge. I need to be on campus. You know, like I, and these are, these are traits that we put on ourselves to be like, Oh, well, I haven't really accomplished my dream yet because yeah, I work for Nike, but yeah, I work for Nike but I haven't got my ID badge yet. Oh yeah, I work for Nike, but I haven't gotten paid yet. Oh, I work at Nike, but I haven't made a year yet. Oh, I haven't made five years, like all these different things, right? And and it was just like the recruiter's on the phone with me and she's like, oh, this is like the favorite part of my job. I get to tell people that they're working at Nike and I've done a lot of traveling and I don't know if it's through traveling, but I always am like, I don't celebrate until I'm at the destination because there's been a few times when I've gotten on an airplane and I was headed to Costa Rica or I was headed to, to a sunny location and the plane was like, oh, sorry, we can't land because of whatever. So we would have to go back. And I'm like, I got my hopes up and we're not even there. So with Nike, it was very much like, it's not real until it's the first day. Well, Aaron, you got the job. Well, I got to pass the background check. Aaron, you got the job. I got to pass the drug test. Oh, Aaron, you got the job. And I'm like, but, but uh, I don't know the background check. Maybe they're going to find something. I don't know. My Russian spy, like you tell yourself all these different things because to accept that you've achieved a dream that you, that you've dreamt of for a very long time. It's startling. It's startling to know that if 10 years ago, I would have aspired to want to be the president of the United States that I could have done that to, to think that, wow, like I worked this hard and I got what I wanted at Nike when, but this was two three years or four years, whatever the time period was. Well, what if I would have spent five years, maybe I could have been an astrophysicist or maybe if I would have like, you, you try to talk yourself out of the, the thing that you wanted. Once you get it, it's like, man, I want to win the lottery, man. I want to win the lottery. I won the lottery. Oh my gosh. I really won the lottery. Oh man. What am I going to do with all this money? Oh gosh. I'm gonna, you know, like it's that kind of a mentality sometimes. I wonder if it has anything to do with like when you're in attack mode, you, you feel so much pushback that you almost grow used to it. And then when the tension is released, you kind of it, are unfamiliar with the feeling that you're expecting pushback that's, 
And you're like, well, now, now where do I attack? I mean, part of the identity I had for X amount of years, X amount of time resistance really built up for this moment. And now I won, I, I finally won the arm wrestle. I wonder right. if that's the feeling, right? Like the, the, the release. That's, that's, def- that's definitely what it is. I was thinking about it earlier too. There's a, something that happens with black and brown people that you, something is, is, is promised to you and it's told that you're going to get it. But then at the last minute, you don't get it or it changes last minute. And you never fully can celebrate until You've received what you want. The job on paper is nothing. If I if if I don't work there, then then what's this offer letter, email? Oh, okay, like great, you guys are going to relocate me up there. All right, I'm going to go on a house hunting trip. Yeah, I still don't feel like I work there. Okay, now you have your ID badge. Okay, now I'm feeling a little more. Okay, now you got your email. Okay, now I feel a more. now you go to the employee store. Okay, I, I work here now. Like it's it's you know like I think that um, in the journey of people at nike for anybody that works at nike that's listening to this i truly believe that the first year you feel like first round draft pick like oh my gosh like how did i get picked to come and work here year two is very much like you have to confront your identity versus nike's identity and you have to figure out like well is is this what i want is this is this where I, is this where i'm going like there's this um, is the swoosh on the front of my shirt? Is it tattooed on my forehead or is it on the back of my shirt? You know, oh. and, and, and at a certain point you're like, oh, okay, cool. It's on the back of my shirt. Like, it's awesome. But in the beginning, you're just like, I work at Nike. Like they gave me a Nike shirt. Like, what is this all about? And it's like, dog, you've been working for this. You applied for this. This is what you, this is what you wished for. It does certainly take a while to let your guard down. It's almost like, when I'm in pursuit of a goal, there's a threat to me as hard as I'm going for that goal. And when I get there, I'm still looking over my shoulder. I'm still very in warrior mode. I just got off the battlefield, right? Like I'm still in this like minor shock of the exact, the example that I could give. It's like, you're in the game seven of the NBA finals and the power goes out. And somebody comes over and it's like, the game's over, but the power went out. And it's like, hey, your team won. And you're like, okay, but where's the confetti? Where's the trophy? Oh, we'll give you the trophy in a couple weeks. Well, I just, I'm, I was still in the game a minute ago and the score was tied and I had the ball. And you said I, we won, but I, I don't see anything that, yeah. that shows me that we won. And you're just like, okay, well, I guess I have to take your word for it. Nobody is going to oh yeah, we won. Nobody's going to celebrate because there's no, there's no record or there's no receipt of it actually happening at that point. You know, that's such a good, that's, can get yeah. rescinded, that's interesting. And I do, I just want to really drill this home is that as much as you wind up to swing for a goal, there is a wind down process too. And I think that's what we're really touching on is that, uh, you do have to build momentum. So in your story, Aaron, I see you building momentum. The moment that you're 10 years old and you take apart that first shoe 
it's starting to turn that wheel for you. And as you live throughout your teenage years, you start to rock different shoes. You, you know, you go to college, you can afford a little bit more. Uh, then you become this mechanical engineer. You, you break into the aerospace industry and you're building a little bit of momentum. You're going after a wholesome salary. You're also getting some uh, manager position, some leadership. Alt MBA jumpstarts you in, in a way that it's like, now, now we're, t- we're, we're putting a little bit of that, that turbo into you now. Mm-hmm. And then your wife is there, man, your, your very own mechanic. So we, <laughs> she's going to oil change you. She's doing all types of things, like making sure you're nice and tuned up for, for when you gotta go, you gotta keep on running. That drive has to go through. And there is a moment in our journey when we're pursuing a goal that we are in cruise control, practically we're, we're in a good momentum. The finish line is right in sight. And sometimes I, I personally believe that the first 10% of a goal or a project or anything, and the last 10% are the hardest. So it is the hardest, the 10% to actually ramp up to the momentum that you need to take you through the goal. And the last 10% to finish, a lot of people drop off in that last 10%. <laughs> Yes. And I think that it's in that 10% when you got to kick up the gears. Once you achieve it, I mean, you're a different person. But part of that winding down process, there is like a, a healthy introspection. There's a reflection that if you're smart, that's what you end up doing, right? You reflect, you see like, how did you get there? But part of that wind down is letting your guard down and receiving your blessing, your hard earned blessing, uh, wrestling, right? With your blessing, literally. So you've been at Nike now for three and a half years. Do you still feel high of when you first were working there for the first few months, the first year? It's different. Um, if we were to like compare it to a professional sport, it would be like playing in the NBA and thinking that it's just playing basketball, but not realizing that there is like practice and that there's team meetings, that there's front office things, that there's, there's all these other things besides the work that you actually do. And to thinking about like, receiving blessings and really reflecting on things like part of me doesn't feel like I can truly reflect this point in my career until I've moved on to something else until I've retired until I've taken another job. It's like, we can't go to LeBron James right now and be like, Hey LeBron, like you're a really good player. Like let's reflect on your career. He's like, I'm still in my career. I don't like, I still run into those situations where when I write my email address down, when I give somebody my business card and I'm like, man, I work at Nike and I wrote this email address down before I started working here. It's really cool. Right. But, um, when you're in it to this level, to the dream job, to whatever you aspire to be, it is, I believe that it's difficult to really take the time to, because you're still in it. Like it needs to have an ending. Like maybe I need to go on like a, 
one month vacation, which I haven't been able to do for a while to truly be able to reflect upon it and to like see it for what it is. I will tell you over the holiday break, I did take a week off and that was the first time in about three years that I didn't think about sneakers, footwear, Nike for a week. I hadn't thought about it. And I was just like, okay, like I can just get up and watch something on TV. I don't have to worry about like the latest trend or the, this new cutting edge technology or something like that. I'm trying to think of like when I've accomplished goals or, or realized a dream, what is the aftermath for me? And I wonder if once you start to own it, like you don't need the high anymore, it settles into you. Um, The way that I would explain it is I worked about a decade in jobs that paid me to be there. Mm -hmm. I got out of bed because the money is what drove me to get out of bed. I got dragged out of bed some days, but they're paying me, so I got to get up. And once I got to Nike, I wanted to get up and I wanted to go to work. And what they pay me is great, right? but I'm not driven by the money. I'm driven by the opportunity, the thing that I, that I always wanted to do. I'm able to do it. So in the beginning, the first year or so, like getting out of bed, I'm just like, Oh man, like this is such a new refreshing experience to be able to get up and to go do something that you, that you worked hard and that you, that you appreciate and what you really want to accomplish. Yeah. By year three, when I get out of bed, I'm like, all right, I'm going to work still smile on my face, but the act of waking up and not having to get dragged out of bed, it's, it's something that over the course of the three years, it's, it's gone from something that was a foreign experience to something that is a daily experience. Yeah. So I know I've kept you for a while. We had the little technical difficulties at the beginning. This is, I don't know, kept, kept me for too long. This is, this is great. Keep going. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Oh, good. I got no problem. I have two more questions for you. In your opinion, why do you think people fail to achieve a dream, to really get what they want over the course of their life? Two reasons. Uh, the first one is they're afraid of what the people around them will think of what their true goals and intentions are. And number two, um, those goals and, and intentions, they haven't grounded them in their own specific why. So I wanted to work at Nike and I had no problem telling people that I wanted to work at Nike, but at Alt MBA, they really had me dig into growing in a single parent home. They had me dig into why was this Nike shoe so important? You could have worn another brand of shoe. This is why it's important. Um, your father and the relationship that you have with your father, it's, it, it, it comes out in shoes. It comes out in sneakers. So like, oh, I get it now. I understand why I'm interested in this thing. Somebody who's like, I want to be an artist. And then your friends are like, what? You're an accountant. Why do you want to be an artist? Because when I was seven years old, my, me and my grandma used to sit in the, in the backyard. And we would sketch and draw things. Boom, you got it. But you're afraid to tell people that you want to be an artist because you're an accountant. And you're afraid of telling people this vulnerable story about yourself, knowing that it's going to, it's going to not only make you more compelling, but it's going to get you closer to where you actually want to be because you're speaking and you're putting it out into the world. And it's going to change. I mean, I even remember in Alt MBA and afterwards people would call, would reach out to me and they'd be like, did you know all this? And I was like, listen, 
the book of your life is written in pencil. Mm -hmm. The book of your life is written in pencil. You're going to write, you write your story, but guess what? At a certain point, you may have to erase parts of it. You may have to change it. Oh, I was grinding to get this job at such and such company, Adidas. Erase it, Nike. Yeah, I was trying to do this and this, but then this thing happened. Okay, well, that's not the goal anymore. That's actually this. Like having some certainty, but then also being comfortable with being like, yeah, I wanted to be an artist, but I'm just going to do sketches on the side. I'm going to I'm going to sketch people at the beach on the weekends, and that's gonna that's gonna scratch the itch that I have. So the podcast is named Enemy Within You, and I would like to know. In what subtle ways do you feel people work against themselves? And then how can they change that? Subtle ways. So yeah. what are subtle ways that people work against themselves? There's voices in your head that say, oh, well, just do it tomorrow. Or nobody's going to read this blog post. Or you're going to put all this work into the podcast. Nobody's going to listen to it. Like you have to think past that. Oh, man, I have to pay. I have to spend $100 on a website. Oh man, I have to put all these blog posts on. Just put one, right? Just put one today. Just put one every day, right? Create a website. Oh my gosh, it's going to take so much time, and I don't know if I can do this. But like the minute that anybody has an idea around what their dream is, the next idea subtly is usually something to defeat it. And I'll give you an example. Hey, I want to go work at Nike. But why don't you just start your own business? Why don't you just start making shoes yourself? But why would you want to go, Aaron, you live in LA. Why would you want to go work in Portland? Why don't you go work for a company that's in LA, right? These are subtle, little subtle things that we do to ourselves. And they come out and question, like, you're just like, hey, Aaron, like, I want to be blah, blah, blah. And then I think about it. and I'm like, what are some of the ways that you can, you can fail at doing that? And let me make sure I tell you about them. Now, that's a one-on-one -on -one thing, right? But we do it to ourselves all the time. And what are some of the ways that we can fix it? Is to write out our future intentions. And I don't know if this was, I think it was one of the things in Alt-MBA. Man, Seth is really paying for this episode. Um, it was really to put yourself in the future. And, and just like how you asked me to write, a, where am I going to see myself in five years? Um, is to if, if you want to subtly find a way to get around this is to put yourself in your dream in five years in the future. I'm going to be working with cross-functional teams, diverse teams on innovative projects where we have the, the correct amount of resources. We're, we're, we're held accountable, but at the same time, we're allowed to have fun and, and all these different things. So you put all those different things in the bucket. I throw them out into the future and any time I I'd start to doubt myself. I review this and I say, listen, this is the, this is the North star. This is where I want to go. These thoughts that I have in my head aren't th those thoughts in your head are your brain and your body trying to say, don't put in the work to do that thing that you want to do. Go to sleep. Don't do these things that are going to put bring stress to your body. These are all things that are within our subconscious mind. Our subconscious mind wants us to stay in one place for as long as possible because it's the safest and it's going to cause us the least amount of harm, whether mentally or physically. So anytime that you are like, I'm going to try something new, 
your brain is like, wait a minute, we have to learn something new. There's an opportunity for you to hurt yourself. So don't do it. And our brain subtly gives us tricks. Don't, aren't you feel tired? Can't you do it tomorrow? Isn't it going to be better if you do it tomorrow? So those are some of the subtle tricks. Um, another thing that I did that always helped me out when we were talking about goal setting, write your goal down, whatever the goal is, and then write that at the top of the page, write what your goal is. And then at the bottom of the page, write where you are right now. And everything in between, there's going to be all these different lines. Put an action on every one of those lines, right? Going back from the goal. So the goal for me was get a job at Nike. Well, to get a job at Nike, you need to accept the offer. Before you can accept the offer, you have to receive the offer. Before you receive the offer, you have to ace the interview. Before you ace the interview, you need to have the interview. Before you have the interview, you need to interview. Like, and, I, and I took all these different steps and I took it halfway down the page And once I got to that point, it was like, update your LinkedIn, update your resume, do informationals with people. So there was this loop in there of things that I could do to get me closer to my goal without having me think about the large goal. Mm -hmm. Update your LinkedIn. Look for people on LinkedIn. Look for people on other forms of social media. Look at job postings. There were all these different things that I could do to, to not tell myself, hey, you're not worthy to work at Nike. You're not going to meet enough people. You're too old. You work in a different kind of industry. I didn't let those those things, the enemy within, I didn't let those things bother me because I had a track. I had a sheet. And Luis, I have it somewhere. I had the sheet and I lined it out. I said, okay, got the interview, aced the interview, got got the job offer, accepted the job offer, got the job at Nike. So breaking things down into something that's more palatable and something that's more manageable, but also something that you can do that won't trick your brain into thinking that you're, that, that it's going to make you a different kind of a person or, or that it's going to cause you damage or harm. That's a, that's a lot. I said, no, I mean, it's really good though, because I do think we get paralyzed sometimes if we don't break down the big dream into actionable steps from A to Z, there is A to B, B to C, C to D. Right. And unless you know that track and you know, you might have to pivot and and go a different route, but you have a general outline, a general map to follow. And what you're saying is the enemy inside of you we'll try to cast doubt. We'll try to distract you. We'll try to make you believe something that isn't real, whether that's by protecting you, whether that's from keeping you away, but we go back to that's the threat. That's the resistance. And that is the tension we're feeling that we're so used to by the time we get to Z, get to the end point that we're still, you know, looking for it. We're still, you know, trying to, we have our guard up because there's been that little whisper and it sometimes it's so crazy because sometimes it comes from people without them even knowing it's from them. Like an honest question from someone who's trying to understand you And if you have any kind of insecurity, any kind of doubt inside of you, you, your enemy within you will latch onto that 
and try to blow it so out of proportion. And what you're saying is if you have an outline and you only focus to the next step, you don't get overwhelmed by the bigger picture. You what know have it? you done? What have you done today to get closer to your goal? Number right. one and attack mode is my own personal mantra for breaking through and defeating the enemy from within. I named it. I gave it traits. I made it a thing, right? And you can use attack mode. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but you, we, we have to, I don't know, for me to be successful, I needed to create it into this, just like Kobe needed, you know, during the second half of his career, he needed to become the black Mamba to separate himself from, from the work that he did. And for me, it's like, I'm using attack mode for everything in my life where I feel the resistance from my brain. You know what? I don't feel like getting up this morning. Aaron, stay in attack mode. Man, I don't feel like taking a cold shower this morning. Aaron, stay in attack mode. And stay in attack mode means you're already there. And when you let your brain take over, when you let the enemy from within stop you from doing this one thing or this one small thing, like you're not in attack mode anymore. You know, you were talking a little earlier, and it's always like, how do you write a novel, right? One word at a time. Yeah. And, oh, man, I got writer's block. I don't know where to start. Write one word. Write one word on a piece of paper and watch the next word follow and watch the words just start flowing. And then you're like, oh, man, I could write this. And then guess what? It's okay to read it, know that it's shit, erase it, and then write it again. That's fine. That's what people do. Right. But to yeah. get past like, oh, my gosh, I got to fill a whole 400 page book. It's got to be edited. It's got to da, da, da. like, no, 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 no. Just write one page. Just just write for five minutes. Write a couple words. And I've done that same little trick with myself. And I'm just like, man, what have I done today? I haven't done anything. Well, oh, my gosh. Like, how am I going to get a job? Tonight? Just look at your resume. Just review your resume today. OK, I did something. You can, you can track it down. You can mark it as an accomplishment. I did something today to get closer to my goal. It wasn't overwhelming. And I'll tell you what normally happens is that us as humans, we overestimate like how much effort something is going to take. And then we underestimate how much, how interested we're going to be in it once we get started. So uh, I'm going to just look at it for five minutes. And then an hour later, I'm like, yo, like I thought I was only going to be looking at this for five minutes. I've been looking at this for an hour. And then you, and then you're like, man, this is what happens when I'm in attack mode, like boom. And then it just, it flows from there. I thought you were going to say it, we overestimate how long something takes us and underestimate how much we can get done over a long time. <laughs> but, that's the, that's the, that's the one that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. But this one is much better. <laughs> In my opinion, I, I like this one, like, cause it, it is on the, on the micro scale. I've been, I've listened to recently. I have never heard Steven Pressfield in an interview. And I recently heard two of his interviews and he's the author of the war of art. And he talks about the resistance and so many things that we're talking about, man, if he was here having this interview with us, he would be chiming in like, and he'd be amening us and everything. <laughs> Absolutely. So. I learned so much. I mean, if, if Louise, if you have like an enemy within library that you share with your, with yeah. your podcast listeners, like the, the war of art is like, 
and I'd say it's top 10. It's definitely, if you go to my blog and I have a list of like 10 books that I, that I highly recommend, The War of Art is on there. I generally give that book to creatives who are always in their own head. Like I, I meet a ton of creatives that are just like, I just don't know if people are going to like this, that I read this book. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's for as much as we don't like the self-help or the, the quick fix things, War of Art is quick fix. War of art will definitely change your, your whole perspective on the creative process and things that we do to get it, get in front of our, our own selves. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. And I'm going to take note on, on creating a library because I, one of the ideas I had for the podcast too, is just having like a, a book review episode every once in a while to fill in some, some episodes, but good. I, I think that is a good idea to have like a, a top 10 enemy within you library. Well, listen, Aaron, man, I, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I I'm looking forward to publishing this episode and helping people achieve their dream and gain inspiration. I, I know that every time I speak to you and we, you know, touch base, I always feel better, man. I, I feel inspired, you know, biblically you know that that word inspired it means god breathed that's what it literally means to be inspired is to that god's breath has breathed on it um and that's what inspiration means and i feel like some of the things we talked about definitely inspirational it's inspired and i hope that the listeners and people who are listening to this episode, that they take action, that they identify a goal and they get into attack mode and they don't stop until it's a for sure thing. And then they take time to wind down and reflect. So thank you so much, Aaron. And uh, I'm looking forward to us having a round two. Thank you. Appreciate you reaching out and I love these kind of conversations because we talked about it. Like a lot of this stuff gets lost in the sauce. And I know that you want to provide people with tangible, actionable things that they can do to make their lives better. And when I understand that, it's like, I'll talk forever. Cause, yeah. all, cause all, all it takes is one person to get, to get put onto the track that they want to for me to think that your podcast is a success, it just takes one person to say, Hey, I listened to this podcast and I bought the book. Our job's done. I agree, man. I, yeah. My goal with, with every episode, man, my goal is if I can change just, but one thought pattern from negative to positive, that it will work for you in the long run, then the podcast is fulfilling its purpose. So let me ask you something, Aaron, are you open for people reaching out to you? And if you are, where can people find you? Absolutely. If people want to reach out to me, they can send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, if you'd like to, you can send me a message on my website, AaronEHankins.com. Um, I host a podcast uh, with my good friend and entertainer, Will, William Catlett. Uh, that's called the Stonecutters Podcast. You can find that on all major streaming platforms at stone cutters one word podcast um you can also find me on instagram um instagram handle is uh mars yard 
underscore overshoe. Uh, that's my creative account. Um, yeah, email, LinkedIn, any one of those different things. I'm always happy to help people uh, reach their career journeys, reach their goals uh, in whatever way that I, that I can help. So thank you for that. For sure. So I'll include all those links in the episode notes. And thank you again, Aaron. So what did you think about today's episode? Has it inspired you to finally get serious about achieving your goal or that dream you say you want so badly? Have you been in attack mode? What have you done today to get you closer to making that goal of yours a reality? You see, analysis paralysis is a real thing. It's in fact possible to overthink a goal or a dream. You can easily get overwhelmed by every small detail to the point where you end up doing nothing. You know, my friend Jennifer, she knits blankets and sells them through her Instagram. These blankets are super cozy. I want to say that they might be about five or six feet in length and width. Can you imagine if she started to think about stitch number 98 when she was only a few stitches in? Where in the blanket would that stitch be? Would her hand feel weak that day? Would stitch 98 make or break the blanket? These questions sound ridiculous, don't they? Because we all know that that's not what you think about when you knit a blanket. No. What you think about is the stitch at hand. How do you knit a blanket? One stitch at a time. How do you win a football game? By moving the ball one inch at a time. How do you read a book? By reading one word at a time. Stop working against yourself by overthinking your goal or dream. Do at least one thing to make progress today. There's a scripture in the Bible that says this. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Of course, Jesus was referring to the natural anxiety we tend to have when we lack faith in how God will provide for us in basic necessities like food, clothes, and shelter. Now, your goal isn't a basic necessity, but the principle of addressing the day at hand still applies. Make progress today. Worry about tomorrow's progress tomorrow. So listen, if you want to dig more into some of the things we talked about in today's episode, make sure you check out the episode notes on the website. And while you're there, why don't you join Coffee Talk so we can keep the conversation going. God bless, and I'll see you in the next episode.